This episode of the Get in the Game podcast is presented by Sports Spectrum and the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. We invite you to check out our website, sportspectrum.com, for more content on the intersection of sports and faith. Articles, devotionals, podcast episodes, all of it can be found right there at one place, sportspectrum.com. And while there, you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, as well as subscribe to our magazine. You can lock in a one-year subscription for just $18 or two years for just $30. We've got a great conversation ahead for you. So thanks for tuning in this week to the Get in the Game podcast with Scott Leinbrink. Welcome to Get in the Game Podcast with your host, Scott Leinberg, former MLB star and current water mission advocate. Oh yeah, and he also happens to be our dad, so let's dive right in. Hey everybody, I'm Scott Leinbrink and I'm back for another episode of Get in the Game Podcast where we talk about what it means to live a life of service, getting off the sidelines, getting in the game. And this week, I'm joined by Mark Herslick, a former football player and now IJM advocate, uh, broadcaster for the ACC Network. So, Mark, welcome. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be on. Yeah. As I sit here and look at you, Mark, um, you know, our audience can't see you, but you've got this incredible mohawk. And I know in your playing (laughs) days, you had this like war paint that you would put on, too. And I can just imagine like the intimidation factor that the opponents felt when they went up against you on the line. I mean, did you like bark at them or, or spit at them or anything? What, what were your other tactics? Oh yeah. Well, so yes, um, I, I have a, I'm probably the oldest person to have. Well, I mean, Chuck Liddell maybe still has more, but like I have an eight year old haircut and I'm 35. So, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it's just stuck with me and my wife likes it. She digs it. She thinks it looks good. So that's really the reason why it's still there. But it started as like a marketing thing. You know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of white linebackers playing college football and you know, a lot of guys who do what I do. But, OK, how am I going to stand out a little bit? Uh, and so, you know, I had the mohawk and as you mentioned, I had the, the war paint. And it's interesting. So this is just you know, an asterisk. Uh, this is before I was saved. But in high school, I mean, I so I would have like the eye black in college, I'd have the eye black on and I'd, I'd pace up and down the sidelines before the game. And I'd pick out the one player that I knew, like the other team, that, that was the guy we had to stop. And I would just, in my mind, be like, I am going to injure you. And I would just play it back in my head over and over again and walk up and down the sideline, listening to like heavy metal, it like in my earbud, like, you know, it was yeah. like, it wasn't even earbuds at the time. You know, it was like those, right. you know, those the Walkman. yellow, yeah. The yellow Walkman head, the thing oh, that yeah. went over your head. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I put that under my helmet and it was just like absolutely insane. I mean, I'd lose <laughs> my mind. I'd take like, you know, five hour energy drinks at before the game and at halftime. And then, you know, in the third quarter, if I needed to, and I would not sleep at all after my games, but to your point, it was an intimidation factor. And like, I don't know if it worked or not, but I, there have been guys who I've talked to since then. Like, I don't know if they were scared, but they thought I was crazy. They're like, bro, <laughs> dude, you were insane in college. And I was like, yeah, no, I know. I uh, And then I met Jesus and everything was better. It really changed. <laughs> now you're just crazy for Jesus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah still kind of crazy. 
Well, I, so I met Mark at a PAO conference. That's Pro Athletes Outreach. And he and I were in the same core group. And I, I just remember being, you know, kind of naturally gravitating toward this guy because we ended up talking about, you know, kind of how you and I had a, a similar approach. Now, granted, we played completely different games and I couldn't actually go out there and like hit somebody and injure them and kill them. Um, but it was that like warrior mentality where you come busting out of the out of the bullpen gate. And it's just like, I am going to go absolutely as hard as I can and do whatever I can to get the job done right here. And, and I, I think I shared with you that I actually had a guy that would slap me in the face before I went out on the field, just so I could get like that, you know, hair on fire mentality when I went out there, because I, I, yeah. I feel the same way. Like you just perform better when you're angry. Yeah. And that's, it was, it was, it was really interesting. Like, I don't know if you were like this at all too, but like, you know, I would have, depending upon like the time of year, depending upon like the, where the game was a night game or day game, or whatever, like I would, my pregame, like, Oh, if I was like goofy and dancing and having fun, like I'd be like, Oh, this is a good gig for me. Or like sometimes it'd be like, if I'm like insane, like angry, like fired up, like you're talking about like, Oh, that's going to be a good game. But like, if I was anticipating the fired up and I got the goofy, I was like, Oh boy. Like something's not aligning. Like we got, yeah. it was like, you know, and the amount of time I wasted, like thinking about that stuff, it's just ridiculous. But as athletes in pregame, you, you're like, what can I control? Like, I, you know, yeah. how am I supposed to win this game before the game? Um, and yeah, it was, you know, I definitely got, I definitely was in that, that phase too of, Hey, I got to get my mind right. Whatever, whatever right it was for that, that specific game. You know, that's a great point because uh, I try to explain that often when you're on the, the professional field of play in the heat of battle, there's only so many things that you can control. There's so much that's out of your control and you just got to be okay with that. But like yeah. things that you can control, you get very regimented and rigid about making sure that you do those things because for the exact reason you just stated. I mean, I don't want to go out there and be half cocked or, you know, not ready for something because this, this is right. Like, the culmination of everything coming together right here. Yeah. And, and but you, what you said too, is understanding the things you can control. Like I remember, I mean, I would say that serenity prayer to myself all the time, like God grant me the serenity to like, uh, to understand the things that I can control or whatever it is and control them, but like also understand things I can't control and be okay with that. Like that was for me, the, the hardest part was like being okay with it, understanding like, okay, I can't control it but that's okay. And that God can control and got, you know, hand it over to God. And on the playing field, I mean, that's a beast. I mean, you know, that, that's like, you feel like everything is up to you, but in reality, you know, especially in football, there's 11 dudes on the field, like 10 of the other guys. Yeah. They're in control, but like, that's God, like you get to do what you can do and God will control the rest. Mm, yeah. So Mark was a very accomplished college football player. He played at Boston College, won the Swede Nelson Award, an All-American, the Rudy Award. I went back and looked at some of your statistics. I mean, they're, they're really impressive. I mean, just the, the solo tackles, the sacks. I mean, you, you were an animal. I mean, just this persona that you're creating for us. We can see that out there. We can see you just like flying over the top of the line as a linebacker and just hammering people. Um, you chose to go back to Boston College instead of entering the draft your junior year, and then something happened right before that senior year. And I'm guessing that that something also had a lot to do with your faith transformation that you've talked about. Can you tell us about that event that happened? Yes, yeah, Scott, you're you're right. So, 
you know, my junior year at Boston College, um, it was one of, kind of that year you're talking about. I mean, it was a it was a definitely a pinnacle moment. It was, you know, just a a paramount part of like my vision of my future. Hey, you perform this, you know, well in college. You have it as a junior, especially. And now everybody's talking about the NFL draft. Am I going to leave early for the draft? I decided to come back. There was a lot of other good linebackers in the time. So it would position me to be, you know, a top five pick for the next year. And, um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, it, kind of the, one of the biggest life moments in my life uh, occurred. And I was actually, I was home uh, in Wayne, Pennsylvania with my mom and my dad and my younger brother. And this was over summer break or uh, sorry, winter break after a bowl game. And I was playing squash with my mom. You know, my mom is a racquetball Guru, mm-hmm. a, a racket sport guru and so we was playing squash with her and getting exercise and all of a sudden I felt this pain in my leg and it was you know it just had got done hitting people for three four months on the football field so figured it was just residual from that but the pain persisted and it was months and months of this pain coming um, and, and and going and not being related to activity or being related to activity uh, and eventually um, we went to the uh, you know went to a bunch of doctors up, up in Boston, but you know, they couldn't really figure out what it was. Then went back home to Philadelphia area and got a, a MRI done of my leg. And, you know, basically the, the doctor sat me down in uh, the, the exam room um, after the, the results came back and he said, Mark, you have uh, a large tumor in your left femur. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically told me, you know, right then and there, I'm 21 years old. I, you know, had, the NFL, my dream was right there. Uh, and I'm in my, in the room sitting on the table. My parents are in the room with me and the doctor says, Mark, you have cancer. You have, uh, Ewing sarcoma. It's a rare bone cancer. Uh, and you know, kind of, you know, any humor that you can bring to the moment. My, my father, Sandy, he, um, was sitting there and he, you know, he wasn't trying to be humorous, but he asked the doctor, said, you know, Mark, is a very good football player. When will he be able to play football again? Mm. And my mother, who was within arm's length of my father, backhanded him right in his chest. Like, Sandy, why are you thinking about football right now? And, you know, it's like a fair question. Um, but, you know, that's what my question was too. Like, when am I going to be playing football again? And it was, you know, when I think back on like, just even that thought of, gosh, man, you just got told he had cancer. When can I play football again? So much of my identity was in football like you know there's certain things that you know i'd introduce myself to people at that time and i'd be like hey my name is mark Hertzlick. i'm from wayne pennsylvania i have a brother brad and i play football for boston college and it's like of all those things i only chose the football you know like everything else you're born into and especially at that age when you're 21 like pretty much most of your life is hey this is what you're doing like and then the identity comes from the things that you choose to do and the things that you really love to do and your passions and football was that for me. And so I figured, okay, if I can get back to play football again, now I'm not Mark, the cancer kid, I'm just Mark again. And so the doctor turned to my dad and he said, you know, Mr. Hertz, like, I'm sorry, Mark will never play football again. The damage to his leg from the chemotherapy um, and, um, and the tumor itself will be, just too much for him to to play he said you know if all goes well meaning if if i survived i would walk with a cane uh probably for the rest of my life or with a limp 
And I mean, like it was one thing to hear the cancer part because it was still a little foreign to me. You know, I, I had known some people who had cancer, like I'd seen the movie Brian's song, like, you know, that, but no one who I had directly been around had had cancer. So I didn't really know exactly what that was going to be like. But when they said, man, if everything goes great, the best that you can hope for is walking around with a cane for the rest of your life. And like immediately, I just thought like, I can't, what about my kids? Like, I'm not gonna be able to play with my kids. Like, I'm not gonna be able to do that stuff. And I mean, it's, it sent me into a spiral. Um, and, you know, I was, you know, I, I don't remember any of the rest of the doctor's appointment. You know, I don't remember driving back home, but I remember getting to my room and laying in my bed and uh, just thinking to myself, man, like, God, what did I do to deserve this type of thing? You know, what, what is, I know I haven't been perfect, but this is bad. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, you know, I saw a picture on, a, on, the, on my wall um, of me playing football. Um, and I saw my left leg planted in the ground. I was a fullback in high school and I was carrying the football and my left leg was planted in the ground. I'm like, that leg is not going to be what kills me. Like, it's just not. So I made a decision. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to fight, you know, like everything else in my life. Like I've just had to fight and fight and fight and, you know, not like anything was that bad up until that point, but like, if you want to get better at football, you want to get better, you work hard. And so now, okay, I can work hard. And I walked downstairs and I saw my dad and I hugged him. I said, dad, I'm going to be okay. And I'm going to play football again. And he hugged me and he said, all right, he said, let's, let's do this. (laughs) Let's do this. And, and right from then we just, we started on that journey. So I actually found a quote uh, that came right around that time, and it was published. And this is what you said after receiving that cancer diagnosis. And I quote, obviously, I was shocked. I had been extremely focused on preparing for my senior season at Boston College and for life beyond that. Now I must channel all that energy into facing my toughest opponent yet. And that is exactly what I will do. At this point, I do not know what this means for my football future, but I'm determined to rid my body of this disease so that I can put that uniform back on. Thank you in advance for your prayers and concern. Together, we will fight this and win. And I'm just thinking, man, that is, that is an incredibly strong statement of faith right there as a 21-year-old kid who is uncertain about his future, even his life. Um, I'm just I'm really wondering where that strength came from. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, that quote specifically, um, is that quote, it, it, you know, we do a little for, for the, for, for the press, right? Like that, my, my attitude was like, screw it. I'm beating this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like not uncertainty. It's like, I'm playing football again, but you know, I can't like act like a crazy person and go out there and say that, you know, like this is, and it was really interesting at the time. I did feel like I needed to present myself a certain way to the public. Like I, like I needed to portray this sense of, um, and I still to a certain extent do that now too, just my personality. Like I want to make sure everyone sees me in the best light possible. But in that, you know, like in those moments too, like I was like, screw everything. Like I need to play football again. Like I don't care what it takes. I'm getting back. And part of it was my, part of it was confidence. Part of it was the fact that I had no other option. Like 
I, I, you know, it's either I die or I get back on the field. Um, and, and quite honestly, at that point in my life, I, I wasn't saved yet. Like I had, I, you know, Sundays were for football. Um, you know, I, I mean, I wasn't going to church, even though I was in, you know, Catholic university, just you know, Jesus was not a part of my day-to-day walk. Now I he quickly came a part of my life, um, because I saw that there, there's an angel out there, right? Like, you know, we talk about, you know, you talk about spirits and the spiritual realm and, and, you know, demons and all that stuff. But like, I felt like, you know, whether it was a Holy Spirit prompted this guy, Walter, or an angel was on his shoulder, but this guy, Walter Musgrove, just called me out of nowhere. Um, he was a football player in Louisiana, and he shared his story with me about how he was playing football, and he was running, you know, he broke his collarbone on, in the semifinal game. Um, and, you know, he was so pissed and everything because, okay, I couldn't play in the, the, in the championship game, but he went and got an MRI of his collarbone and they found a large tumor in his chest and he had cancer. And he was, he was, he was saved and he was spiritual. And he basically said to me, he said, look, God allowed me to break that collarbone so he could find, I could find that tumor. And he, and he said, I prayed every day and every night not to lose my, my hair because that's just like something that he wanted. And he said, I never lost any hair. And he asked me point blank. He said, do you pray at all? And I said, ah, like, not really. I don't, I don't pray much. You know, I went to Sunday school when I was little and he said, we'll try it. He said, just pray and pray specifically for what you want God to do. And so, you know, he, he, uh, you know, we hung up and I, you know, thanked him for calling me. And I remember that night, you know, praying for the first time and just being like, you know, what else do I got to lose? You know, like if God's real, then, this is the right thing to do. If he's not real, then I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just spinning the wheels and whatever, at least I'm, at least I'm doing something. And I remember the first night praying and just laying in my bed being like, be like I was writing a letter, like dear Jesus, remember me, I'm Mark. <laughs> I, I have cancer right now and I want to be healthy again. I want to play football again. Um, yours dearly. Right. And it's like, that was it. And then I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I prayed every morning and every night, really habitually, you know, simple prayer. Like, Lord, let me be, let me be healthy again. And let me play football. Uh, and it, it was out of desperation, out of like covering all my bases kind of thing a little bit. Um, but then something kind of awesome happened. Um, when you're, when you have cancer and, you know, you go through these treatments and, you don't really know. There's no like checkpoints until you get uh, scans done. So you get like an MRI or you get a CT scan or something done to check the progress of how your chemotherapy is working. And I remember going to the first one, an absolute wreck. I mean, like, you know, I hadn't been nervous the whole time because, you know, as far as I knew, everything was working. But now it was really saying, okay, is it working or not? And I remember the night before going in for my scans and saying that same prayer and then sitting there for an extra minute and being like, God, you got to take this off me. Like, this is too heavy. I, I cannot, I cannot deal with this on my own. And instantly I felt like this weight just float off my chest. And, and 
you know, in the most physical way, you know, it wasn't metaphor. It was like a physical weight feeling lifted off my chest. And I was like, whoa, it's like, whoa, you know, this is, that just happened. And it was really crazy. Like from that point on, I was like, okay, this praying stuff, like that's the real deal. Mm. Like, you know, know, I remember the first time I ever, the first time I ever prayed was in elementary school when they were doing a raffle, giving away a blue stuffed animal M&M guy. You know, one of those M&M dudes, he was blue like that. And I remember being, I don't know, was I six, seven, I'm sitting in the cafeteria floor as they're doing the raffle, praying, God, please let me get the M&M, please get me the m M&M. and I got the M&M and I was like, bro, God is real. <laughs> and I had not remembered that moment until that laying in bed when that weight was lifted off me being like, he keeps on answering my prayers and I'm still not believing him. Like that got to change. And so, you know, th- that was really the start of my, my, uh, not necessarily my walk with Jesus, but my curiosity and being like, okay, this, this, this is real. Now I had, I had a lot of hangups on religion and, you know, I grew up in big Catholic community and just uh, some hangups to different areas, but I was like, this guy is real. Like God is real. And that started my exploration and my journey into being a Christian. So this whole time you've been praying so that you can go back and play football, which you did. Mm -hmm. You actually Mm -hmm. uh, were able to come back and you did not play your senior year, but you got, you signed as an undrafted free agent. You signed with the New York Giants, uh, a team just down the road from where you grew up. And Mm -hmm. you end up playing in a Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl your very first year in the league. And that had to be incredible. But my question for you would be this whole time you've been praying to God so that you can play football. But I'm guessing that through all of this and, and realizing the power of prayer and realizing that God is real, he had something much bigger planned for you than just football, right? Absolutely. Um, and, you know, for, for anybody who has wives out there that keep them in check, like this, my, my wife was my girlfriend at the time. I met, I met my wife, Danielle, as a senior, uh, actually met her at a Halloween party while I was sick. I was Mr. Clean, which is a fantastic chemo costume. If anyone yeah. out there is going through chemotherapy and needs a good costume, Mr. Clean rocked. So I met her and I actually got her number as Mr. Clean, which was props to me. That was good. Um, but anyways, she, she consistently reminded me like, it's just football, like right? It's just football. Uh, and like, that's not super awesome to hear. Like, you know, when like, that's your part of your identity in your life. And like, it's, it's interesting for a while. Um, you know, I was like, what do you mean? It's just football. Like, but at the same time, I, and, and, you know, my wife is, um, you know, for those of you who don't know anything about Enneagram, she's an Enneagram eight. Like she just says it directly how she sees it to the point. Um, and another person gave me this very similar, uh, kind of talk, but shaped it a little differently. And this guy works for this foundation that I'm part of, uh, uh, Tom Golf and Jay Fund. He he basically come up to me and said, "Mark, and this guy like travels to prisons and like preaches the word in prisons and is just like a fantastic dude." Um, he's like, "Mark, he goes, you're a great football player. He goes, but God didn't keep you on this earth to play football. Mm-hmm. You're destined for much bigger things." And I was like, "Man, like that's prophetic." And I totally felt the same way 
you know, there was a lot of times where I would feel uh, survivor's guilt, um, which, you know, some people get when they come back from war, or, um, you know, whatever it may be. But for me, part of part of being a survivor meant that I needed to help other people become survivors, or at least have that mindset. So when they were diagnosed with cancer, especially Ewing sarcoma, it's a very rare disease, only one in a million people get it. And so, um, you know, you Google it and you see me. So I talk to tons and tons of people who have had cancer and a tons and tons of those people have passed away. And I, you know, every time that happens, I'm just like, why am I, why, why did I live? Like, why am I here? Uh, and that, and now as you know, my Christianity has matured, that just becomes a, a question for God. Okay. How can you use me now? How can you use me? Because you know, it's not, it, you know, we're all going to the grave at some point. Right. But it's like, while I'm here, how can you use me? And that just became a question that I would, I would pray and I would ask, and I would let God lead me uh, in those certain directions. Mm. And and how does God, I mean, you've been out of football now for better than 10 years, right? Uh, no, actually a little bit less. Um, so okay. I retired in 2018. Oh, okay. Uh, so like five, five, uh, almost five years now, I guess. Okay. Yeah. So how does God continue to use Mark Herslick? Oh man. Well, um, uses me in so many ways. Um, and, uh, it's, I don't know if you ever feel this way, but I always feel like I'm never, never worthy of doing a lot of these things. Like, but you know, Hey, God said you should do it. So I'm doing it. Um, you know, first of all, uh, being a father, I mean, in a husband, like that's, you know, I feel like um, some people overlook that as God's calling for you, but like that's a hundred percent my number one calling from God. Be a you know, be a, a father that leads your kids towards Christ, leads them in the walk with Jesus, and be you know a husband um, that you know Jesus would look at and be proud of um, to your wife. And so that's my no, the number one thing. And then um, you know we you know, philanthropically. Danielle and I both, we um, are on the board of a call to men, uh, which is a domestic violence, uh, sexual assault prevention organization that focuses on men and creating a basically a new generation of manhood that isn't stuck and confined to the man box of being tough and not having emotions and, you know, kind of all the things that, you know, the, you know, the pictures of the Marlboro man, like kind of embody, but when you look at real Christian men and look at Jesus, like it's completely opposite <laughs> from, from all those things, like, you know, crying openly and, and sharing your deepest fears to your friends. Like that is what true men manhood is. Um, so it's, it's basically preventing um, this idea of, Hey, you know, men are superior to women. Um, you know, we have, we are equal in terms of the relationship. There's one area, domestic violence um, uh, prevention, uh, and then uh, give back to um, Tom Coughlin's J Fund, which does um, work with pediatric cancer. And it's like those have been two things that Danielle and I have been really passionate about. Um, and um, and recently, um, we really within the past three or four years, um, we got we've gotten really involved with uh, International Justice Mission IJM, um, which you know I know I know you know well. Um, but uh, that was actually I started working for IJM. Um, back in January of this year, um, and you know, decided to make it my profession. You know, I, I called, I broadcast college football games in the fall, and you know, was doing it and loved doing it. Uh, but just felt like 
I could be doing something more, um, you know, in the other seven months of the year uh, and found IJM, love the organization. Uh, and I felt like when I played football, I could train my body physically at work. You know, it was like a double dip. You, know, you get to work, you work out, you train, you're eating right, you're training right. Uh, and with IJM, I feel like it's, I'm able to train my soul spiritually at work. You know, you go to work and we have like daily prayers as an organization, like get to go to the, the field and, and see this God's work being done. Um, and it was like, you know, selfishly, it was a way for me to double dip. Hey, I'm working, but I'm also in the word and with and walking Jesus's walk every single day, all day. Mark, I love that. What a complete picture. Um, I love the way that you allow yourself to be used, how you, how you are seeing how God is taking experiences in your life, some of them very hard experiences, but he's using them for a greater purpose. And we just talked about this when we were recently together at PAO. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made the comment, I said, you know, when, when we allow our passions to become pursuit, we find purpose. And I just yes. I love the way you have allowed that progression to happen in your life. Yes. Yeah. And could you imagine if you add another P into that, you had a platform of some sort, like us as athletes, we have a passion, a purpose and a platform to use it like that. that, You know, those are things that change communities. They change worlds. And and most of all, they change people's souls and hearts. Amen. Well, Mark, thank you for the way that you serve. Thank you for telling your story here. And I appreciate you being a guest on the podcast. Scott, thanks so much. And I love, I love the podcast. I love what you do. And man, I like you know, listen to some of your ones and I you know, listen to ones like with Adam LaRoche going to Ukraine, all this stuff. I'm just like, man, I'm not worthy, but thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's fantastic. Absolutely. You bet. And you, you're doing a great thing yourself and I, I want you to keep it up. Will do. Will do for sure. Thank you for listening to the Get In The Game podcast with Scott Weinbrink part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast Network. You can connect with Scott and follow him on Twitter at Scott Linebrink. We want to invite you to subscribe to the other shows on our network. We'd also love for you to check out our Sports Spectrum magazine full of great stories and content covering the intersection of sports and faith. You can subscribe at SportsSpectrum.com. It's $18 for an entire year subscription. Again, the website to subscribe is SportsSpectrum.com. Thanks so much for listening.